Hello and welcome back to In The Clock Ends pre-match pint this week. It's a Fulham edition. This evening, it's going to sound a little bit different. We are missing the main man, uh, Mr Celebrity himself, Steve. Um, it's going to be the, the format going forward. Uh, Steve's just got quite a bit coming up at the minute. Uh, we've mentioned it before, but he is getting married, uh, which does take a little bit of... Uh, of the front row seat uh, in this particular circumstance. So this evening, we are joined once again by James. James, good evening to you, mate. Good evening, Kelvin. Thanks for having me. And as always, I'm very happy to be the super sub coming off the bench. Oh, you're not really a super sub now. I think you're more of a squad rotation, but definitely uh, more than often in the starting eleven. Uh, to be squad perfectly rotation. honest. Squad rotation, squad rotation. I'll take that. That's quite a nice way of putting that. Yeah, I think you, you've definitely upgraded from a super sub, mate. That's for sure. Uh, those oh. days are long behind us. Oh, thank you very much, mate. How are you, anyway? Yeah, can't complain too much. Um, I mean, look, busy, busy week with work and just in from playing five-a-side. Um, I wasn't going to cancel on, on this week because I missed out last week, so I could let you play five-a-side. Sorry, so, mate. No, you, it, it is what it is. You've got to commit to the cause um, every now and again. So, no, it's good, good to get out, get a little runabout and... Uh, the legs still work, mate. I think that's the main thing when you're you know, mid to late 30s, as painful as that is to say. But uh, what about yourself? All good on your, your side? Yeah, all good, all good. Still nursing a little bit of a knee injury from my own uh, six-a-side exploits from last week. But no, we're getting there, mate. We're getting there. What's your Did team you have... called, by the way? It's not. It's more of a... It's not a team. It's not a competitive league, which I do, do miss out on because um, I do like that competitive edge. It's more of a fuck a lot of people together to make up the numbers and have a, a knockabout on a Wednesday evening, to be honest. But So it's not not quite as structured as I'd like it, but, uh, you know, it's just nice to play football, isn't it? As long as, it, you know, I'll play football as long as the legs allow me to, I think, at this stage. But one thing that's just popped back into my mind, uh, and, and you didn't bring this up last week, though, I'd love to for you to, to tell the listeners about your moment where you thought you were Dennis Burkham last week is that correct <laughs> you're throwing me under the bus here mate already <laughs> it's like Steve's here and we don't even know about it exactly like it's not me that's being thrown under the bus for a change you know and it feels quite nice you you can obviously do it later on in due course no 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 I will I will um take this one for the team so um yeah I was um chatting with Kelvin and Steve after the podcast last week so if you did tune into the pre-match pint, we were talking about the 96-98 uh, home shirt. And uh, one of the standout moments for me in that shirt is Dennis Bergkamp and that wonderful hat-trick he scored mm. against Leicester. And, um, sublime. Yeah, absolutely sublime. And there's a there's a certain goal, I think it was the third one in the hat-trick, yeah. where uh, David Platt, he kind of floats a lovely ball through. And Dennis, we all know what happens. He takes a touch with one foot, controls it with the other and then goes to very calmly slot it in the corner. Now, I had this similar, well, a very similar situation in my uh, six-a-side game the other week, and, you know, I found the ball coming over my head, and I had that moment going through my head. First touch, sublime. Probably the best first touch I have ever had and ever mm. will have in the history of my six-a-side career. Unfortunately, no, unfortunately the, second, the second touch didn't quite go to plan. Far too heavy. The ball mm. then sprung up off my foot, into my face, you know, uh, surprised I didn't give myself a nosebleed. The rest of the team absolutely in hysterics of laughter, thinking, what on earth is this guy doing? Who on earth does uh, he think he is? So, yeah, my Burkamp moment didn't really go to plan, unfortunately. Did you get the horrible watery eyes after the ball in the snout swords? Do you know, like when it hits you square in the nose, it gives you, you know, either a nosebleed or very watery eyes to so the point where it looks like you're crying, but you're not. But everyone will point out that you are just to, you know, poke poke the bear or you know kick a man while he's down and all that oh absolutely everyone was saying oh what are you crying for mate you know but you know, it was just <laughs> it was just sensitive eyes that's all sensitive, sensitive eyes. eyes oh look you, you guys a chance to be prime burkham and you're fucked it but that's look that's that's life as a amateur footballer i guess to be honest sometimes we think we're elite and every now and again our bodies and our touches will just remind us that we're really fucking not uh, so yeah I'm glad you shared that, though. That did tickle me after you said that uh, last week after the podcast. But look, tell you what, let's dig into some of the, the news which is floating around at the minute before we get stuck into, you know, the pregame stuff on Fulham. You know, there's a few things knocking around, isn't there? Um, the well, I say that there's a few things. There's one which has been going on for what feels like an eternity, uh, and that's obviously the Tillman deal. 
I mean, just out of interest, how do you kind of feel about that? If that deal does come to fruition, do you think that's a player that can you know, slot into either the starting eleven uh, or the squad? You know, would it be a player that you'd like to see in red and white? Throughout the summer, I've definitely been a fan of the Tielemans signing and thought he would be the perfect addition to the squad. You know, he's got that experience. He's played a lot of European football with Leicester and I could definitely have seen mm. him overtaking Xhaka and playing that position. Mm. But from what I've seen of Xhaka so far this season and, you know, moving into that more advanced role, you know, I'm thinking more and more, do we need Tielemans? You know, he has mm. been an absolute revolution this season, Xhaka. And I guess my only concern is depth and whether can yeah. Sambi come in and play that Xhaka role, which Xhaka is now playing. If not, then maybe, yes, there is still space for Tielemans, but, you know, he hasn't started very well either, you know, whether that's because he's got the transfer speculation running around his head or not, who knows, but um, I'm not as keen on it as what I was. And that's the mad thing about the transfer window, isn't it? Like one minute we're all, you know, putting all of our cards in for thinking, yes, this is definitely the signing we want. And then the next minute, mm you think, well, actually, maybe it's not for us after all. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those where, you know, I kind of agree with you a little bit. Um, I've kind of got to the point with transfers now where I, I like rumours, right? And I like looking at them and, you know, it definitely keeps you ticking throughout the summer, doesn't it, when there's no football going on uh, and you get excited and, you know, you start to project thoughts of oh, how will this player fit and what will he be able to do for us? You know, all that sort of stuff. But, I've generally got to the point where, and and it's an unusual place to get to with Arsenal because historically, well, not historically, but over the last number of years, we were fairly fucking bang average when it came to transfers and we had a lot of misses. Whereas a lot of people started to talk about the last couple of summers, you know, we've brought in some really good players, a lot of hits, very few misses. I think, you know, if you want to look at the misses, Tavares will probably fall into that. I think Sambi's kind of, you know, floating around that peripheral part of, you know, is it going to work long-term? We're not sure. I don't think we've even seen enough of him to even make a judgment, but that that alone says a lot. Whereas you look at everybody else, I mean, they've just bolstered the squad. They've pretty much bolstered the starting 11. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of just like, do you know what? Whatever the club, Arteta or whoever is involved there do, whatever they decide to do, I'm kind of happy to let them just do it at this stage. And whoever comes in, I've got confidence now at this point where I'll be happy with whoever they kind of bring in at this point. I, I'm not too fussed who it is because I think, you know, they're really going after certain qualities in player. And I think one of the big things that we've all noticed is, you know, Arteta is very keen on the character of an individual as well uh, to make sure they have the right, you know, characteristics to not only just fit stylistically from a footballing perspective, but they need to blend in with the, the squad to keep that harmony high. So is that something that you kind of feel, you know, similar to yourself, you kind of, have you got that confidence from a, an executive level that whoever they kind of bring in, you're, you're kind of happy to see that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, since Raul left the club and Edu has <laughs> kind of taken on that role, our hit rate with transfers has been absolutely re remarkable. And I think we just do have to trust them at this point because they are picking exactly the right players. And these players that are coming into the club, they are walking straight into that starting eleven. I mean, mm. you look at Zinchenko, for example, it's a, I think they were talking about it on the um, athletic podcast as it being a real kind of sliding doors moment, because, mm. you know, it could have been Martinez at Man United. And if mm. we would have got Martinez, then would we have got Zinchenko? Whereas now you look at what Zinchenko is doing for the team and you think, Crikey, I can't imagine a team where he's not there in the middle. And he does mm. seem to have that level of confidence. He does seem to have that level of experience where it is dragging people up in the same way as what Jesus is doing at the moment. So, yeah. And that is a champion mentality. And, you know, these boys are getting used to being top of the league. Sorry, they are used to being top of the league. So, and hopefully mm. this is uh, something that is here to stay. No, definitely. And I think one of the the nice things about, you know, the transfer we've made as well, and it's something which, you know, I've actually kind of been advocating for for quite a while, and that's buying Premier League proven players, right? Because, you know, you said that these players are walking in and they're walking in for a reason because, you know, they've, they're not having to adapt. We're not having, you know, if you look at, you know, you just brought up Martin is there, he's going to have to adapt. You know, coming from the Dutch League to the Premier League, that's quite a leap, to be honest with you, because we all know that, 
you know, the, the Premier League's the strongest league um, in the world by quite some distance now at this point. And it's it's strong throughout from top to bottom, as we're seeing, right? If you look at the results of the weekend, you know, Leeds, you know, wonderfully pulled Chelsea's pants down. Um, you know, Brentford obviously also had a pretty good result there against United recently. Um, and, you know, Newcastle, you could kind of throw in that, you know, they could have beat City at the weekend. So I think it is going to be a really you know, topsy-turvy sort of season throughout. And I think, you know, there's going to be surprise results throughout. And then you throw in the World Cup into the middle of it. Obviously, that's going to cause havoc for everybody involved, I think. But that that transition and not having to wait for players to get up to speed is is a big plus as well, um, from, from my point of view, for sure. But just moving on, I think one of the things uh, which has definitely come to light today, obviously, has been in, in the news the last couple of days for sure and that looks like um, I believe it's pretty much close to confirmed is it you, you might know better than me I haven't had a chance to have a look at the news since I finished work but Nicholas Pepe uh, looks to be going out on loan he's going back to League One um, and he apparently has had offers from Leicester as well I believe it's something I did see but how, how would you sum up you know the transfer and, you know you mentioned the the old executives uh, Rao being one of them uh, and it's mad when you look back at that that was mental a mental period for the club to be honest and I think Nicolas Pepe is you know the the prime example of just how crazy that particular period was 72 million um, it really hasn't worked out to say the least and I remember myself and probably most of us were really really excited to see this player in an Arsenal shirt but how do you feel about you know Nicolas Pepe heading back uh, on loan uh, to Nice I do feel sorry for him a little bit because, you know, the price tag was not his fault. You know, that was agreed by the clubs. But I think, unfortunately, in my head, he will always be known as £72 million Nicolas Pepe just because, Mm -hmm. you know, it was such an enormous amount of money at the time. And unfortunately, you know, you know, a lot of water's gone under the bridge since Emery was there, but he wasn't the player Mm. Emery wanted. Emery wanted Wilfred Zaha, but no, he got Nicolas Pepe. So, Emery didn't want him. And I think mm. it's, you know, it was very clear early on that Mikel Arteta didn't want him. So I do feel mm. sorry for him because his whole Arsenal career, he's been here under managers where he unfortunately has been playing for a manager that, you know, didn't really want him there. But, you know, he has mm. had the odd moment, you know, and l- late on in the not last season, the season before, he did show flourishes and you know, mm. good luck to him. You know, David Ornstein's reporting that it's pretty much a done deal. So, you know, yeah. when he reports something most of the time, you know, it, it's going to happen. So I can only mm. see it being a positive. I mean, we're not going to get anywhere near the money that we no. would like to get for him. £72 million. I think no. we'd we'll be lucky to get 20, 30 million at this, at this stage. Be, but, you'd be lucky to get 15, 20, mate, to yeah, be perfectly honest. Yeah. And that, that goes to show the level which he dropped to, um, which, is, which is a shame. And it is kind of one of those... <sighs> You know, frustrating things as a fan, where you did, you know, when you sign someone like that, and you know, he was exciting, right? And we've all, like you said, we saw flashes and glimpses of what he's able to do. He scored some good goals, but the, the lack of consistency, and it was just, he's just not a, a Mikel Arteta player. I'm thinking that that's been clear to see for quite some time. So, I think you're right, though. It's you know, we wish him well, and I think it's best for both parties, you know, that he goes and gets some regular football and. I do find it interesting that he's chosen to go back to France. I think that says a lot. Uh, I just don't think he's a player that suits the Premier League. Um, you know, he's always quite slight, isn't he? He's quite lightweight, I think. Which, you know, that doesn't apply to all players. You know, you look at the likes of Bernardo Silva, very slight, but I know they're very different, so I'm not comparing the two. But when it comes to that physical side of the game, some people can kind of cope with it uh, and some some can't, unfortunately. I think he, he definitely falls into that bracket. But the only, I guess, slight negative on it is there isn't an option to buy. Um, which is a maybe a little bit frustrating, but look, he's got two years left on his contract with us. So if he can go and have a reasonable season in France, then look, we might be able to recoup 15, 20 million. Um, but he's, you know, he's 27. So it'd be, it'd be a tough sell. A tough sell uh, you know what though, does. mate? I think that, I think partly, yes, it is frustrating that there isn't the, the option to buy there, but, you know, that could end up being a positive. You know, he ends up having a storming season, say, in League One, mm. which, you know, I can't see it, but you never know. He might do. And then mm. 
we might then end up be able to negotiate a better price next summer than what we're able to negotiate now. Because, you know, if we were to put in a fee right now, I don't think you'd be looking at a lot of money. But, you know, if he scores, you know, 10, 15 goals in League One this year, then, you know, we're maybe negotiating for a different calibre of player. So, you know, look, yeah. good luck to him. And you never know what will happen in the future. But no, I, I certainly don't think he'll be remembered um, particularly fondly compared to the... Uh, the hype that surrounded him when we did first yeah. deal over the line. Yeah, not he won't be remembered fondly, but I do think, yeah, it's a case of, I think we're all just a little bit deflated with how it ended up. And we would have loved to saw something, you know, seen something different. Um, but look, these things happen. Um, so look, unless there's anything else you want to kind of bring up that's been in the news, um, we can get stuck into Fulham, if you fancy it. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Let's go Fulham. Cool. All right. Well, look, we face Fulham. We're on Saturday evening again at half past five. So looking forward to that. Um, let's hope it goes similar to last week. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, plenty of singing. I don't know what that song might be, but I think we can have a venture guess uh, or an educated guess as to what that might be. Mate, but obviously, that's been look- living, that's been living <laughs> rent-free in my head for the last few days. I'm sure it's exactly the same as you. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to the game this weekend, but... I can yeah. imagine that the concourses are going to be absolutely booming with one I, song and one song only. I'd love to hear like everybody in the Emirates just banging it out as well, to be honest. I think that would be that would be brilliant. Because, um, yeah, we can generate some noise. We are generating noise in there, which is great at the minute. The atmosphere is so much better than what it has been over the last, Jesus, 10 years, you could even say at this point, which is also great to see. But looking back over the history um, between Arsenal and Fulham, Obviously, they were also down in uh, the championship last season. They had a very good season, though. Uh, I think that's safe to say. Mitrovic seemed to have found his feet and continued that form in early season so far. So the last time we actually played Fulham uh, was in that COVID season, uh, which, I mean, to be honest with you, looking back at some of these, you know, the highlights of these games, it's just very strange, right? It was strange at the time, but looking back at it now, now we've got fans back, I still find it really fucking odd that this happened uh, that we basically played pretty much the it was near enough an entire season behind closed doors right yeah, I, I yeah. think I've asked this before but... no 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 yeah I think we mentioned it last week but do you on that do you think it was looking back on it now do you think that lack of atmosphere that lack of you know fans in grounds I think you look back at some of these results and you think well that wasn't a great game or you, you know, there weren't much to think about there and 100%. you know I think we thought about it at the time but I think looking at what's going on now especially with the atmosphere at the Emirates you can see why the games weren't spectacular yeah no I think there's there's you know there's two kind of categories for this because there's some players that absolutely thrive off those sorts of environments and there's other ones who will actually you know they're human beings mate it's probably really nerve-wracking right I know you get used to it but it's like you know it's how I look at you know my job sometimes I have to present to you know 100 people I've been doing it for ages, but I still get nervous about it. Do you know what I mean? So I'm sure. Yeah, Imagine absolutely. like performing under, you know, high pressure in front of people that all they want you to do is win. It must be, you know, insane. And there's, I know that you always know that someone's watching on TV, but not having the, you know, the 40, 60,000 people right in front of you screaming at you. And it must be, you know, there's going to be players that definitely thrive. And I think teams did thrive in those, in that particular season as well. I mean, there were some really bizarre results, weren't there? Like, what was it? Villa beat Liverpool. Was it seven three or something stupid like that oh, in that season? That yeah, like, some crazy some stuff. Weird ones. Weird ones. Yeah, some really strange things going on. So, looking back to the games, we actually started the season uh, that COVID season with a three 0 away win. Um, we can dig into that very slightly because there was you know a couple of good goals in there, and there was a really uh, dare I say decent performance from William. Um, it was the only game I think this guy actually showed up in an Arsenal shirt. To be honest with you, I think but, you call um, it a. Uh, I think you call it a collector's item. I think that was. <laughs> they were very few and far between. Let's put it that way. Yeah, he must have got all of his bonuses just in that one match. To be honest with you, and he decided to to put his feet up thereafter. Um, but no, three 0 away win. It was the goal scorers that that evening, James. Actually, I know Aubameyang definitely got one. Um, did William get one himself? I know Aubameyang got the first. Um, Gabriel scored on his debut as well. Debut, yeah. That you know, always good to see. And I can't remember off the top of my head who got the um who got the third one there. It'll 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 come to me. But no, definitely the the pick of the bunch was definitely the Abamian goal. And you know, and mm. like you say, it was 
Willian starting his first game for Arsenal and, you know, he played decent that day. And, you know, the ball hmm. he plays across pitch to Aubameyang and Aubameyang, you know, quite majestically then kind of whips it in from the uh, top left-hand side of the of the box there. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, oh, maybe this Willian thing is going to work out after all. And um, hmm. how, we're, how we were wrong, how we were wrong. But um um, memories of that game as well just that beautiful kit as well I was a big fan of the kit on that day and yes. it was the first yes. one we'd see, first time we'd seen it you know mm. if people aren't familiar it was the uh, third kit that season with the I think the club tried to say that it was inspired by uh, night skies above the Emirates um, and then with wow. the, um, and then with That's... the pinky yeah I oh, know tell me about it the pinky <laughs> kind of uh, orangey stripes Trims. and logo yeah. yeah i think it really did look smart but um it looks smart that's some that's some crazy marketing though isn't it um the night sky over j- just the emirates no i mean night sky doesn't appear anywhere else um, no absolutely not but you know these uh, it's mad how they promote kits so is, isn't it you know i think yeah i think they always just something. think of anything they think of anything and say yep that's what we based it on yeah, absolutely. It's like the the white kit, you know, the marbles. <laughs> I was like, for fuck's sake, lads, come on! It's just, it's just someone put some tie dye on this, um, and then you've just decided to call it after the marble halls just to, just to appeal to the older generation. Uh, not that the younger fans even probably really care about the marble halls these days, to be perfectly honest with you. But going to the the home game, um, I think it's a bit of a bit of a shite game by all accounts. One or draw. Um, you know, we, it, this was kind of the period where our form wasn't great. Um, you know, after starting the season quite well, I think we dipped off a little bit. And I don't, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't have any uh, any sort of memories of this game. I mean, do, do you have any? I should have probably looked, to be honest. But no, there we go. That's, no, that's me. Uh, so the goal that day was a late Eddie, um, a late Eddie and Ketia finish, and you know, mm. he really kind of got us out of a hole there, but. I think it was towards the end of the season. The season had already kind of run its course at that point mm. in terms of the league. I think we were destined for, you know, that mid-table, you know, eighth place finish. And, mm. you know, Fulham were fighting for their lives. And, you know, I think they were probably would have been disappointed on the day because they thought that they were going to get that 1-0 victory, which could have been crucial to them staying up. But mm. no, that season, that game, just I think everything about it was just unremarkable, really, unfortunately. That whole, that whole period of life, I think we can all just resign it to the to the bin, to be perfectly honest, because it was all a bit weird, wasn't it? Really strange. But um, just looking at the, the head-to-head record, obviously there's a little bit more to look back on than what we had uh, for Bournemouth last weekend, that's for sure. We've played Fulham 40 times. Um, sorry, correct me uh, Correct me there. We haven't played them 40 times. We beat them 40 times. Drawn 11, lost eight. So, you know, look, I would expect a record like that uh, against a team like Fulham, to be perfectly honest with you. Looking at the current form as well, going into it, there's no need for us to talk about our current form. I think we're all pretty aware of how well we're doing. Um, looking pretty decent but I think Fulham you know coming up from the championship I think they've had a pretty decent start and um, to be honest that you know they haven't lost the game yet you know two draws obviously one of them was you know the opening game uh, opening game against uh, Liverpool which you know when you look at it now with a little bit more context it's a good result right but I think Liverpool are struggling a little bit to say the least um, I thought they might struggle to keep pace with City this season but I think yeah they you know they're in that as it stands, I think, unless something dramatic happens, uh, they're going to be in the top four battle for sure, unless they they buck their ideas up. Do you kind of feel the same with what you've seen with them so far? Or do you think they'll turn it around? I think they'll turn it around. I think they'll be there or thereabouts. And I think if we could be finishing above Liverpool, then I think we've got a top two place because I can't see them not finishing second. You know, I've, I feel like they'll get it together. Although... Mm. Saying that, I was speaking to a Liverpool fan the other day and they did point out that Jurgen Klopp, you know, he had all this success at Dortmund and then it was about this time where the wheels did start to come off at Dortmund. So you never know, Mm. it might be something like that. But um, no, I think Fulham in general, that two-all draw on the opening day of of the season, it, it did show what they were about and it does show that, you know, although they are a newly promoted club, you know, they are not to be taken lightly. You know, they scored so many goals in the championship last year. I, I had a look into it and they scored 106 goals. Okay. And that was That's 30, that was, that was 32 more than any other team. Wow. Know? And a lot of that was Mitrovic, who again, he how scored, many, yeah. How many did he end up with last season? 
Did so he not he, break? He broke the record, didn't he? Yeah. So he set a championship record of 43 goals last season. Fucking hell. And he has had the opportunity in the Premier League before and it hasn't quite yeah. gone right for him. And people have said, look, can he do it in the Prem? Is he just a championship striker? But look, so far he's, you know, d- doing well. You know, he's strong, he's physical, mm. he's definitely got an eye for goal. And, mm. you know, I think I alluded to it last week that I was interested to see how Saliba got on against, you know, the more Keith physical Kiefer yeah. Moore. But that didn't really happen in the Bournemouth game, you know, I think no. Just because we dominated it so much, but whereas this guy, you know, if you think of a big, tall, target man, strong, you know, you think of Mitrovic at the moment. So it'd be really mm. interesting to see how Saliba gets on from that perspective, because I don't think he's going to come up against a much tougher test than what he'll face this weekend. I had a couple of other guys I could probably think of. One particular at Manchester City is just an absolute bully, <laughs> to say the least. But uh, I think, yeah, you're absolutely spot on. And I was just about to bring it up myself because uh, I know that you were kind of keen to see how Saliba would have dealt with that test, but it just didn't happen um, in any way, shape or form because of the way we dominated that game last week. Well, I think this will be a slightly different test. You know, Mitrovic is, is experienced. Um, you know, he has played in the Premier League. He's off the back of a good season. He's had a good start. Um, so he's brimming with confidence and he he's a big lad um, and he's not afraid to throw it around either uh, I think that's the difference between himself and Kiefer Moore Kiefer Moore's just finding his feet at this stage to be honest with you especially in the Premier League so yeah it'd be a very different task but look if we can assert ourselves like we did last week then hopefully hopefully touch wood we can have uh, another dominant display where the defence is kind of just there to be sang at to be honest with you that, that would be great yeah, absolutely. Honest. Absolutely. I mean, Fulham in general, I mean, I guess, you know, it is a London derby, but, you know, when I think about Fulham, I don't have anything against them. Yeah, no, they are. They are a nice club. They are, they're a family club. Up until mm-hmm. recently, they still had a neutral section in their grounds, which kind of just did shows they? you. Yeah, they did. Yeah. The only reason why it's gone now, apparently, is because of redevelopment works. So you could mm-hmm. go and buy a ticket and sit in the neutral section, which shows that you know apologies to any Fulham fans listening and I'm sure there will probably be many of you um <laughs> but it doesn't really seem like that much of an imposing atmosphere I know it's at the Emirates but mm. you know they're away fans we'll see what noise they make but no they just seem like a nice club and you know what Marco Silva's doing there he's kind of rebuilding his reputation really isn't he mm. you know he did a fantastic job at, at Hull and Watford and then it didn't really work out for him at Everton so yeah, it's going to be for many at Everton, though. No? Let's no, be funny perfect. that. <laughs> funny that, isn't it? There, seem, there uh, seems to be a seems to be a connection there. I mean, look, I'm, I'm happy that Frank Lampard's falling flat on his face. To be honest with you, I, there was a, a bit of me that really wanted them to go down just to see it. I know that sounds really bad, but that's you know that's half the fun of football, isn't it? I want to see oh. things that are out of the ordinary. I was all uh, for like... it, mate. I was all for it that sunny day on the last game of of the season, but unfortunately. Yeah. Um, we didn't quite get the day we wanted on our end and their end, but let's yeah. not go into that. No, we don't need to bring that up um, in any way at all. Let, let's quickly move on from <laughs> any discussions of the way last season ended. But um, look at it, you know, possible lineups. And again, look, it's it's a bit of a, a shallow conversation, I think, because there's not a lot that we can kind of dig into around it. But do you think we're going to see again the, the same start on 11? Obviously, we kind of spoke or, you know, I kind of alluded to the fact last week on the pre-match pint that, you know, I'd love to kind of see some rotation. And I do think these type of home games against slightly lesser uh, opposition, other games where you would maybe look at doing that. Do you think it will happen? Or do you think we're literally going to go, it's not broke, don't fix it? continue as you are lads this is great I would be absolutely amazed if anything changes from the lineup that we've seen so far just Mm. you know don't if it's not fixed then don't break you know don't break it (laughs) I love that yeah that was the wrong way around yeah that was the wrong way around that (laughs) and I went halfway through it as well and thought oh should I just keep committing I'm committing to it I love it committed to the cause halfway through but no, look, I think we'll see exactly the same lineup as what we have done so far. Interestingly enough, the League Cup draw is tonight, you know, so round mm. three is coming up shortly and the Europa League draw is this Friday. So like we alluded to last week, I think we will see rotation when we are playing twice a week. But, you know, when I, I think sure. of some of the players that could come in, it's just going to be interesting to see how they do fit in because, 
Mm. You know, if you think of Kieran Tierney, for example, you know, when yeah. he was fit last season, number one or, you know, number two name on the team sheet type of player. But you see how mm. Zinchenko's playing now and how he's moving more centrally. And when have you seen him overlap? You know, and that is exactly what Kieran Tierney is all about. So, mm. you know, I think that some of those players who were thinking, oh, yeah, well, maybe he'll come in or maybe he'll come in. You know, I mm. think in KT's position, you know, that might not be quite as easy as what it has been previously for him to to come back in. And I guess my only other thought has been Eddie Inketia this week as well and his role. And obviously, you know, he signed that big contract and yeah, he would have known Jesus was signing. Like, in, 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 100%. That wasn't it's not a thing where he would have signed and then by accident, we then signed it, Jesus, you know? So he's either signs knowing that he's going to be back up or he's Mm -hmm. got the genuine belief that he could push Jesus to be the main striker. And it's interesting because, you know, I was watching the end of all or nothing, finally managed to watch the the last few episodes. And Mm. there was that podcast that he did and he talks about how he, was critical of a lack of opportunity to start multiple games and he wasn't being given the chance. And, mm. you know, it's very early days, but at the moment I can't see him getting in in front of Jesus. So yeah. he's in the same situation he was last year, unfortunately. So um, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that develops, but barring any injury or anything like that, I think we're going to see exactly the same start at 11. Yeah. I think mean, like we just alluded to, there's going to be plenty of game time for him, um, you know, in the league cup. Hopefully the early rounds of the FA Cup, if we can get more than one round this season, that'd be great. Um, so that there is going to be game time here. But one thing I just wanted to just quickly pop back to is the KT um, situation that you kind of brought up there. And I find it a little funny that it, it's kind of happened twice in the last two seasons, right? Where through injury, you know, he's lost his place. It was funny, you know, you look back to, you know, the, the, the start of last season when Tavares came into the side, there were discussions that, you know, Tierney had, you know, had to fight back for his place because it's crazy to say now, but Tavares looked pretty, really good, didn't he, when he first came in? Um, and a lot of us were like, well, you know, Tierney might struggle to get back in. And we all know his, his injury history, you know, since coming to the club's not great. Hopefully that's behind him. But right now, um, we're having the same discussion. And the discussion's a lot different because... You know, Zinchenko is a much better player than Tavares, right? There's no two ways about that. So I think it's it's good, though. Right? One of the things I've definitely alluded to is you know, having that competition throughout throughout the squad can only be a good thing. You know, you want that you know elite competition throughout. You want that competitive environment internally because um, that that just drives the quality up every day. Um, we we'll drive performances up on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whenever it is that we play. Um, but I think it is funny, uh, not funny necessarily in, in the in the grand scheme of things, but I think it's uh, an interesting kind of point to look at because it's happened to him twice um, that he's lost his position and we're back to having the same conversation that we kind of were this time, you know, the last year, that can he get his place back? Do you, I mean, what would, what would you do in, in this, you know, if you're Arteta in this situation, like when would you bring Tierney back in? For me, you don't play him until you get a League Cup game or until you get a Europa League game at this point because Mm -hmm. Zinchenko is playing so well and I think he's so key to what we're doing at the moment and how secure we are. And I think Zinchenko makes Xhaka look a much better player as well with them both being there as well. So, look, Mm -hmm. Katie's got to buy this time. You know, he he is known for, you know, wearing his heart on his sleeve and, you know, I'm sure Mm -hmm. he'll be training well and I'm sure he'll be doing everything he can to let Mikel know that he needs to be back in the team. But for me, I only see it as a positive. You know, you've got the same situation with Emil Smith-Rowe and Martinelli. You know, unfortunately, Emil Smith-Rowe is coming to the season. He's been injured and then Martinelli is going from strength to strength. And, you know, I'm a massive fan of Emil Smith-Rowe. I've got him on the back of my home shirt for this season and would love to see him get back in the team. But Mm. at the moment, you know, it's one of those sliding doors moments where Martinelli looks undroppable at the moment. The same with Zinchenko. And, um, you know, whilst that's going on, you can't be uh, feeling sorry for these guys. They've just got to think, right, I've got to pull my socks up. And, you know, it's that competition in training that hopefully will just drive the standard up. 
Yeah, no, I think that like, yeah, that's that is exactly it. And it is it's it's getting used to that situation again, isn't it? Really? Like I think where we've had such, you know, a thin squad um for the last few years. And then just before that, it was a lack of quality and depth um within the squad. So these sorts of things just, you know, they didn't necessarily come to our minds. It wasn't a case of our you know, who can start where? I mean, having these kind of conversations, it's it's ultimately quite refreshing, isn't it? I guess um, that we're having them about players that are sort of about our starting eleven. And um, you know, too many times have we looked at our starting eleven and been disappointed that someone's starting. Whereas now, I mean, you know, it picks itself, and when it when it gets announced, you're very rarely disappointed with who's in it. And you could change out a few players and still not be disappointed um, because, again, having those options off the bench. Something again, we have severely lacked his options off the bench. You know, having that in a game, um, it, we haven't had to do anything drastic, I think, in our game so far. So that, you know, tactical adaptability in game hasn't really had to happen at this point. But it'd be interesting to because that, that situation will arise at some point. You know, we will go behind in a game at some point. Um, it'd be interesting to see how the team reacts. But also, if we're chasing a game, it'd be interesting to see what Arteta does as well, won't it? Yeah, I think that's the only thing I kind of wanted to bring up towards the end of this Fulham conversation, really, is that, you know, I've, I've heard on other podcasts, they're talking about the fact that Arsenal haven't been behind yet. You know, we haven't mm. had to respond to that adversity. But what does give me the confidence is that in that Fulham game, we were under the cosh and we got that second goal. In the Leicester game, you know, we conceded two goals, but so quickly we were up the other end and getting one back you know and mm. I'm hoping that it's that mentality that will help us in these moments where inevitably we are going to go one nil down or we are going to go two nil down and you know as much as I'm confident about the weekend of the opening fixtures this has been one that's been playing on my mind a little bit and especially now just because of the run we're on I do think that it might be a little bit closer than some of the games we've seen so far but you know mm. I've got the confidence that we can respond to that adversity and you know in the small periods that we've had so far I think we've demonstrated that we'll be up to the task yeah no I think we will uh, and it's nice going into these games with confidence uh, that's for sure uh, and anticipation that we're actually going to play quite well and um, you know it makes sitting down for me obviously in front of the TV a lot more entertaining I think we've all sat through some pretty woeful times over the last few years and Absolutely. you do it you know you put yourself you know you put yourself through the ringer watching Arsenal over the last number of years and you sit there with a not a lot of hope, which is pretty painful. And I know it's the hope that usually kills you, but I'd rather have that than nothing. Um, because it got to the point where you had no hope at all, <laughs> to be honest, which is pretty depressing. But I guess let's just move it on then. Um, you know, the, I think it's clear that the, the lineup will change. I'll be, I think we'll all be pretty shocked if it is tinkered with um, you know, going into the game against Fulham. Obviously, one of the things we like to do in the pre-match podcast, uh, or pre-pint is look back at some of the previous games uh, that we've played against Fulham uh, and some notable goals uh, that have also been scored. I mean, one of my early memories um, was going, you know, going all the way back to the late 90s, I think it was. Um, you know, trying to think. I always have to go on kicks. So that's how I do it. Um, so I think we had the, the soft collar shirt, JVC, with the white trim. It was actually what last season's home shirt was based on, I believe, with the blue trim running down the side of the body um i think we beat them 3-1 away at the cottage i don't think i've actually ever seen fulham at home to be honest with you. i might have done in over the years um but there were some good goals i remember burkamp scoring one but is it you know you love having a look back at the old games don't you and you know some of the goals which you forget about right um because there's been so many games that we just pointed out earlier what sort of goals and games did you you know have a look at and you know definitely stood out uh, and you know brought back some fond memories yeah it was a, a lovely look back actually through the archives especially because there was a goal which I remember at the time you know blowing my minds and I'd completely forgotten about it so it was um 2018-19 season again mm. very much like you I do try and remember these things by the kits so <laughs> we were unfortunately in a, in a puma kit but it was um that navy puma kit with the weird burgundy shorts if you can remember the same one that we um played valencia yeah i was going to say that's probably what it's probably yeah that's what it's most fondly remembered for is that that yeah, away game at valencia yeah that's the one i remember but no it was a proper kind of what i would say arsene wenger goal in terms mm -hmm. of a, a proper team goal and um 
basically just to give you a, a, a little run through, you know, Aaron Ramsey's oh, go got it. the ball. Aaron Ramsey's got the ball right, right hand side of our defence. And it just from there on in, it's just one touch audacious flicks and touches from Lacazette, from Ramsey, from Bellerin. Mm. And then eventually works its way out to Abamyang, who plays the cross in and just the flick from Aaron Ramsey kind of plays it behind him and oh outrageous and you know I loved Aaron Ramsey as a player yeah. I was gutted when he went and you know it was goals like that and that burst into the box that really kind of did remind me of him most fondly just because that is what he was so good at he did seem to be in the box at just the right time to be able to finish off these these kind of these kind of attacks but no it was a, a wonderful goal and just I remember you know, Arsenal social media going mad about it. They kind of made little kind of video game based um, yeah, I remember that, and yeah. gifs and stuff like that. And it, it properly was an Arsenal goal, you know. And I think very similar to that goal against Norwich, which Jack Wilshere finishes off. And you know, mm. from all the ones I looked at, that was certainly um, up there as well, definitely my favourite goal against Fulham, but probably one oh, of my favourite goals in the um, modern era. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When you look at some of the team goals we have scored over the years, I always remember Thomas Rosicki scored a really good one. I think, it, oh, who was that against? Maybe West Brom or something like that with a really deft little chip over the keeper at the end. At the same end that Jack Wilshire scored his, I believe, against Norwich. But, you know, you could also, I think it was the same season. We we had a really good team goal against Leicester as well. Um, Ozil and Aubameyang at the end, putting the finishing touches on a really good sweeping move. Um, so you know we have we we have it in us, and we we always had it in us to play good football. And I think most sides do uh, when they click and when you're playing, you know, elite level football. I think all these players can kind of pull it off. But when it does happen and it happens so smoothly, and it's your team that does it, it feels good, right? Um, and that, that was a, no, yeah, there, there is nothing better, is there? I mean, to be honest, with you, what here's a question for you though. Actually, just thinking of this, uh, you know, off the cuff, and that's: Would you prefer a goal like that? against Fulham or an absolute thunder bastard from 40 yards in off the crossbar? Oh, uh, um, oh that's, that's really torn that's, you, actually. That, yeah, it has torn me because, you, you know, on first four, I was saying team goal, but I think those kind of long range off the bar or off the woodwork type goals, which, you know, come out of nowhere, they do tend to be scored by some players that you wouldn't expect them to be scored by at times. So Alice Saliba. I know yeah, it wasn't well, for you. <laughs> well, and I'm, I think I've got Xhaka in my mind that he's, you know, I know he's known a little bit for those long range shots. I mean, at one point, mm. the Emirates, every time he got the ball, it was shoot, which yeah. I'm thinking, oh, please don't shoot. But um, no, I think I've just gone on about how much I love a team goal, but if I could only choose one now, I think I'd actually go for the long range belter just because I, I it, think is, so. it, it is almost a little bit more out the blue, a little bit unexpected. And I'll be the yeah. first to be going absolutely mental when Thomas Partey one day does score one of these goals. Yeah, it's never going to happen. Um, <laughs> from what I've seen so far, it's never going to happen. But I do, you know, thinking about it, actually, there is, you know, you love Aaron Ramsey. There's that team goal against Fulham. But then there's one of my favourite Arsenal goals of all time, away at Galatasaray on his weaker foot when he's absolutely spanked one into the top left corner. Do you remember that one? Yeah, absolutely. But Fantastic that's... goal at the time as well. Away from home as well. Yeah, so I think I prefer to see that. Um, as much as I love the good football, right? we will do. Um, but I think, yeah, crikey, a good Thunder Bastard from 30, 40 yards. Whether it goes in off the woodwork or not is always a pleasant sight, to say the least. But um, just looking at any, any other goals, I know we kind of alluded to earlier, but I think that that Aubameyang finish um, in that that first game of the 2020-21 season was really, really good. It's It's got that FIFA finesse finish about it, you know, which he actually did a couple of times, didn't he? He, got, he actually you know, really mastered that finish around that period of time in his Arsenal career um, where he'd open up. It wasn't quite the Thierry on refinish because it was more wasn't slid into the bottom far corner, which we all knew Thierry did time and time again in an Arsenal shirt but it, that, that was a really good goal um, and again it's, those sorts of finishes are always pleasant on the eye as well aren't they oh, that was a lovely goal it really was and that was at a time where Bamiang was still on a real high you know he just had scored those two goals which got us the FA Cup and then you know he's just signed his new contract and we're thinking this man's going from strength to strength and um, 
unfortunately the season didn't really pan out for him that well that year but um no it was still a, a memorable goal and like I say that kit as well I I really do have a soft spot for it sure if you want to but I have a soft spot for most Arsenal kits but I tell you what I was actually when I was driving home from playing football earlier saw a bloke walking around uh Dublin in the very first Puma home shirt that we had and I just looked at it and I was like man that was a fucking terrible kit <laughs> But it really was shit. Um, so, yeah, we, we've come a long way. Um, the Puma years were dark years for many reasons. Um, from a kit point of view, players, yeah. The end of Wenger, Wenger in, Wenger out. Crikey. I mean, yeah, bleak. Let's not, let's not get into that too much. But, uh, yeah, seeing that guy walk around that kit, I just thought that was awful. Really, really awful. But look, I guess we'll move it on. Um, I think that's enough about Fulham. I think it's safe to say that you feel confident, I feel confident um, for three points, uh, but it will be a test and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how we get on again uh, against a slightly lesser team. But I think, you know, being at home, I, I would think we would be disappointed if we didn't come away with three points, but I'll take them as always, however they come. Um, I think that's always the case. I don't care how we get the three points as long as we get the three points. But moving on to the next segment, um, we're going to move into the, player profile for this week um obviously you you had full reign of everything last week so i thought you know i'd pick this one out of the, the bag uh, and i decided to go with the little magician from spain that is santi cazola um which i think you'll all agree is a fantastic choice because i made it but he was signed from malaga in 2012 for 18 million he made 129 appearances for the club scoring 25 goals and 35 assists he won two FA Cups along the way and two community shows. Actually, two community shields. Crikey, I'm struggling to get that out this evening. So he was undoubtedly right, one of the most naturally gifted two-footed players I think we've ever had at the Arsenal, wasn't he? Um, but just with that in mind, I'd love for you to kind of take a look at, uh, you know, take a look down memory lane. You know, what's when you hear, you know, the name Sandy Cazorla, what springs to mind for you? You know, what what comes floating back? You know what, it is mad because, you know, I, I did go back and have a look at a few Sandy Cazorla moments earlier on today. Mm. And the on the little set of notes I've got here, the first thing I've written down is, was he left-footed or was he right-footed? He was a proper two-footed player, you know, and that yeah. was just what made him so dangerous. You know, he was, I'd say he was a classic Benger attacker. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that, you know, he could play central, he could play wide, he would find space, he would combine well with other players. So he, didn't really have, he didn't really have a fixed position. And, you know, he was there at the time where you had players like Riziki, you had players like Cazorla, and, you know, they would just be buzzing around or interchanging. And he mm. was a proper technician. But mm. I think as well as that as well, I think if you were to kind of have hybrids of, Erdegaard in terms of his technical ability and then I know he's not the most popular of players but I do feel like Cazorla he did have a bit of a kind of Genduzi type tenacity to him as well you know he was able to take games for the scruff of the neck as well and yeah it was that kind of Man City away game is oh yeah that 2-0 where you know when you think of Cazorla you think about him being like I say a technician a really kind of skilled player but that day he he played a deeper role and he just made everything look easy. And, you know, he scored a vital penalty that day. And, you know, mm. this is when Man City were really beginning to become the team they are at the moment. And yeah, he just made it look easy. And without him that day, we would have been nowhere near that 2-0 victory. That's that City game that you brought up there. I'm pretty sure was that was that the game where uh, I, th- this clip gets shared every now and again. I think a lot of people do when they think of Santi Cazorla, but he went on that incredible mazy dribble through the center of the pitch making a few man city players look pretty average uh, yeah if I, if I think I, it was I, I think it was outrageous uh, but you know that was him as a player and that is what he was mm. capable of doing and you know unfortunately he plays for arsenal at a time where things were mm. difficult you know van persie had just left and yeah you know he he arrived in the same summer as Giroud and podolsky and you know, but he was our player of the season that year. He played all mm. 38 games in that first season. And when you think about his injury issues that unfortunately mm. plagued the latter part of his Arsenal career, 
you know, he was the first name on the team sheet for that whole season. And, you know, even when Ozil came in the year after, he still was playing, you know, a, a huge number of games and he was able to adapt to Ozil being there and, you know, adapt his game, whether it be playing wise, whether it be playing a little bit deeper. But And he mm. was able to um, come up with some really quite important goals as well, which um, I'm sure we'll probably move on to the... Uh, yeah, final it, goal. yeah, no, actually, just before we do, though, it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, was he right footed, was he left footed? But there's always that that story and that moment when he's lining up to take a corner um, and, and basically Cascioni starts shouting over to him to take the corner with his other foot, which is just mad, <laughs> right? When you, when you think about it, it is just mental, isn't it? So he just adjusted himself and, yeah, took it with his other foot, no problem. Um, you know, it's just mad. Uh, to be that gifted with both feet is incredible, but... Moving on to that that FA Cup goal, uh, I mean, crikey, I think we were all, uh, and I remember watching this in the Dublin Supporters Club at the time, I think we were all in a pretty dark place, 2-0 <laughs> down against Hull. I mean, we'd only, not long before, suffered that horrific um, final defeat to Birmingham, uh, which I think was probably still in our minds at the time, and to find ourselves 2-0 down to, to Hull City. And um, it was managed by Steve Bruce as well, was it? Was it Steve Bruce? Was he managing yeah, Hull at the time? I think it was. I mean, Alex Bruce was definitely playing because we were lucky not to be 3 0 down at yes. that point. <laughs> no, I remember. I do remember. And Jesus Christ, what a free kick it really was. It was postage. It got us right back into the game and it just lifted the whole mood. Uh, and I think it changed the, the trajectory of that game as well, to be perfectly honest with you. But where, where were you watching that game then, out of interest? I was watching that game. I was actually moving house that weekend, unfortunately. Oh, and well, I know, I know, but it had been nine years. So I wasn't <laughs> expecting us to be in the FA Cup final. And um, yeah, I know I was moving house. And then, so we were surrounded by boxes watching the game. And after the first 10 minutes, I wanted to start packing again just because of how oh yeah you probably wanted to the get whole in. thing was oh geez it was awful wasn't it but you know yeah. Santi Gazzola doesn't score that goal we don't mm. win that final you know he was the catalyst yeah. and he was the reason why we you know I think that we went went on to win win the cup that day and you think mm. imagine we didn't win the cup that day it was another final that we got to where we'd you know choked at the last minute and it had been so long since we won a trophy and you know, the little man steps up and you know finishes like that and I'm and I genuinely do think you know I know we're biased and we think about Arsenal goals and we're not biased we're not biased we're not biased maybe a little no. bit maybe a little <laughs> bit but you know I think it will go down as one of the great FA Cup final goals because you know he said oh, yeah. it from he said it from 30 yards and the keeper's mm. got no chance yeah no it's it was superb and it's funny isn't it you know just talking about that game now and I just I remember the I don't remember feeling as nervous about a game than that one. So it really stands out in, in my memory, just being really on edge and because you wanted it so bad and you did, just didn't want to lose to a hole in, in the cup final. It would just not look good um, for the club. I know we'd probably done pretty poorly, like I just touched on there not so long before that, but the relief I felt afterwards, fucking hell. Like it was obviously joy, you know, ecstasy, all the other things and, everyone was having a great time and celebrating, but also it's just that, that relief of, you know, we've got that monkey off our back. Um, you know, with, with the drought was stopped. Um, yeah, I, I definitely felt that afterwards. I'm sure you probably did as well. Absolutely. And, um, I don't know in terms of other, uh, cause all, cause all the moments, um, one I did look back up today was, um, a lovely little hat trick that he scored against Reading away from yes. home in 2012 and scored a oh, header. Yeah, he scored a header. The smallest guy on the pitch scores yeah. a header. It just shows let like a salmon. <laughs> let like a salmon. Just shows right. you the versatility of the man. And I got a little bit confused actually because you know if you wanted to see goals that season, you went to Reading away because that was yeah. the same season where we beat them seven five in the league cup as well. And that Santikas all a hat trick was in a five two win. So if you want mm. to see goals that season, it was the Medea. You got your money's definitely worth. Definitely the place to be. Yeah. So. No, yeah, some nice little finishes and, you know, just being in the right place at the right time. And mm. like I alluded to earlier on, it was just such a shame that, you know, injury did blight the latter stages yeah. of his career. And unfortunately, he never got the chance to have a proper goodbye at the Emirates because unfortunately his contract ended with him 
having not managed to recover from that ankle injury well it was really serious wasn't it i mean i I remember looking at that um you know there was a an article that went around you know not long after we left arsenal about how just how bad that was and i don't think it was necessarily treated uh, as well as it probably should have been by the club unfortunately um you know it got to the point where i think there were skin grafts that you had to do you know i don't know whether you saw the photo that went around of his ankle where you know the tattoo wasn't non-existent i think on or there was a bit of a tattoo from i don't know what you know there was a bit of a tattoo either transferred or covered i'm not 100 sure but you know it's to the point i think they were talking about possibly losing um you know the the foot altogether uh, at one point because of the infections and all that sort of stuff but yeah i think you're really spot on that it was sad that we didn't get to say goodbye to little sanny because you know he was quality um you know he's not a legend in my eyes uh, of the club but he's one of those kind of players that you know he's a cult hero i think i'll probably put him into that that bracket and it's it's also sad that you, you know you even hear how he talks about it even now um you know he's openly said i think a few times that he was sad that he didn't get to say goodbye and you know he how much he loved the club it was the biggest club he ever played for and he you know he had the best time of his career you know representing arsenal which is always nice to hear isn't it from a fan's perspective but maybe one day maybe a friendly against who is he plays still playing out in saudi arabia or somewhere mad or yeah it's madness that he's still playing now i mean at one point i think his surgeon said that you know, if he was able to walk around with his kids mm. around his garden, he'd be lucky. So, you know, the fact that he was able to play a few years at Villarreal afterwards, and now he's obviously having a great time um, over mm. in, I don't know, where is it, Qatar or Saudi Arabia? Qatar, that might be it, yeah. Qatar, yeah, Some, somewhere, somewhere along like those lines. But, um, yeah, so the fact that he is able to be enjoying his football, you know, it's fantastic to see. And he will always mm. be, have a little soft spot in my heart, you know, little Santi Cazorla and those magic feet. And um, yeah. It is nice when you do see a Santi Cazorla shirt every so often as well, because you do see them. And um, mm, it, rightly so. You know, he was um, he took us through a not a, a great period of Arsenal history, and I mean, just imagine him in our team now. What, what mm. that being frightening? A good, yeah, a good way to look at it, I think, is he gave us joy in dark times. You know, um, he, he really gave us some some great moments, um, some fantastic footwork. You know, again, that that two foot ability he had. You know the Santy shit. You know the Santy shuffle. I used to call it. Um, you know where he'd shuffle it between his two feet to get around a play it was just. It was great to watch. It's funny though. You just mentioned um, Villarreal. I, I have got this in front of me. I don't think we can not talk about Santy Cazorla and that transfer to Villarreal and probably one of the strangest transfer unveilings I think I've ever seen and I will probably ever see. Do you remember it? I think it will go down in history. I think it has. You know, if you had David Blaine popping out at one point, that would be the only bit that would have topped it. It was just madness, madness. Still intrigued to know how he did it. I'm sure it's really easy. Um, Oh, it's magic, Kelvin. That's how it works. It's magic. Oh, don't be like that. Yeah, I I need to to know, you know, I'm one of those people that show me. I I, I appreciate what you've done. There's a bit of talent there, but, you know, there's a way to do it. Um, Show me, show me the magic. But there we go. Yeah, really weird um, transfer unveiling. But I think, yeah, <laughs> whenever I think of that transfer, that's the first thing that comes to mind is that was just really odd. But yeah, Santi Cazorla, what players? Is there anything else you want to add before we move on? No, I think that's a an odd way, but a, a fitting way to end Santi Cazorla's player profile. Yeah, I think, yeah, good, good to put it there. Hasn't gone up in smoke. We had to get that one in, didn't we? But look, moving on then, it's that time for Shirt of the Week. Uh, And this week, I thought I made a really blinding choice. Cracking shirt. um, But when we dug into it, there's there's not a massive amount to to look back on in the shirt. So if you're wanting to know what that shirt is, we decided to go all the way back to 2000, 2002. And it was our first ever commercially sold third shirt that was predominantly just brought out to wear in Europe, I believe. Um, not like today, as you pointed out to me, where we wear them at any given opportunity that we possibly can. And even to the point where actually a lot of goalkeepers wear them. There's, you know, we, there's no rules anymore. And imagine that back in the day, David Seaman rocking up in a third shirt um, with short sleeves as well. So yeah, we're going all the way back to that 2000, 2002. Um, for those who aren't so familiar, it was an all dark navy number with some bright yellow trim with the yellow Dreamcast uh, emblazoned across the middle. 
quite an iconic sponsor when you look back at it, isn't it? Those Sega Dreamcast days. Oh, lovely, weren't it? And I think you you occasionally don't you see some of the modern kits mocked up with the old crests mm. and the old sponsors and oh yeah, it does look good. Yeah, speaking of the old crests, that's something that just needs to happen. Guys, if you are listening, just keep sharing pictures of the new kits with the old crest and keep tagging Arsenal. It will happen. We'll put the pressure on. You know, we are gargantuan as a fan base and we'll make that happen. Well, surely, we'd love Steve to see can, it. well surely Steve can make it happen now as well with his <laughs> connections to the club. Oh, he's gonna be he's gonna be laughing to himself. He's gonna be having a few chuckles about that because yeah, he is Mr. Celebrity. Um he's got, you know, he's got the ear of the club these days, I feel. So yeah, maybe Steve, there you go. When you listen to this, um get in touch with you um with whoever you can. Make it happen. We all want to see it. But I had a look back at it. We actually, crazily, as much as I love this kit, only wore it three times. Three times. And it's to be honest with you, if you really want to be precise, we only wore it two and a half times um, because the first time we actually wore it was in a home Champions League game of all places against Sparta Prague. And it was a game, funnily enough, I was actually at. Um, we won 4-2 um, with some great goals. Parler got off the, you know, got the score sheet uh, can't even get the words out this evening, but he got the, uh, the score up and running with an absolute blinder with the outside of his right boot into the top corner. Lauren Dixon and Carney with the other goals. But what was kind of weird about it was there, there seemed to be a bit of a kit clash. Um, and I didn't think it at the time. And I've even looked back at the highlights yesterday and I still don't really see it. Do you? I think they were clear enough, no? No, I didn't really see it either, to be honest. And, you know, we were 3-1 up at half time, so it can't have been doing that bad a job. No, absolutely not. Did you see who else got on the score sheet that evening for Prague, by any chance? I did indeed. He's a Mr. Uh, well, a very, very young Mr. Yeah, very Mr. Young. Zicky, Thomas Rizicki. Yeah. And it was a fantastic goal as well. Really, yeah, really, it was. really, really, you know, I mean, what else with a Thomas Rizicki goal? It was, you know, taking on multiple players and then uh, scoring from the edge of the area. So, um, yeah, interesting to see how, you know, there's these little uh, segues from one game into one day playing for the club, but yeah. But no, I think, so no, you go, you go. No, I think just, I was going to say that I think probably my memory of this shirt more than anything. And I don't really, well, I do know why it's because I did own the shirt as a, as a young lad and I had um, mm. Silvino on the back of Ooh. it. And um, I loved Silvino at the time. I thought he was, Me too. Uh, he was, he was, a stunning footballer you know he had pace he was a you know I think his attacking qualities were better than his defending qualities but mm-hmm. he was you know he replaced Nigel Winterburn and you know when you're coming in to replace someone who's been an iconic part of of the defense for such a long time you know mm. it must have been difficult for him he was the first Brazilian player we'd ever had and Unfortunately, his Arsenal career didn't really last that long. You know, no. Ashley Cole was coming through at the time. And I believe there may have been some issues with a Portuguese passport as well, which meant that Definitely he had to, something. Um, I think he had to exit stage left probably quicker than what we uh, anticipated. But no, I that's one of the players that really kind of springs to mind when I do think about this kit. And um, it is a shame that it wasn't used as often as as some of the other kits in our no. history. But I think it was, I think you alluded to it, it was kind of advertised as our European kit and we used it mm. when there was a clash. And, you know, it probably made sense at the time because we'd had difficulty playing Lance a few years earlier on. Mm-hmm. Where we had to have that one-off kind of grail kit as people see it now. So, mm. you know, it made sense for us to have it. But um, no, we didn't have the best record in it, unfortunately. No, we really didn't. But I tell you what's kind of brilliant because the next game we actually played uh, in it was away against Moscow. Uh, and funnily enough, Silvino scored our only goal in a 4-1 defeat. So, I mean, look, at least you put someone on the back of the shirt who scored in it. Um, oh, exactly. That's, that's not the worst. And then our other game uh, that we played in it was away at Mallorca. Uh, and again, wasn't a great, great outing. Uh, and we lost 1-0. What's quite unique, though, about uh, the game against Moscow is the only time it was actually used uh, as a long sleeve shirt which that wasn't actually commercially sold, I believe. Um, that shirt was only available in a short sleeve. So if you've got or can get hold of a match shirt, a match worn shirt with a long sleeve, that'd be pretty epic, to be honest with you. Uh, and that would definitely be one for the collector's item, that's for sure. 
yeah that'll be a few pennies i would say considering what some shirts are, are going for nowadays at the moment i think there's been some frightening amounts paid for shirts recently but no mm. it's it's a shirt i do remember fondly just because it was one of those shirts where you know it was the first time we'd had a third shirt so i remember being excited by it and it was something different for the club at the time i remember having that champions league ball on the sleeve which mm. you know what we give to have that champions league ball oh, at the moment gosh. but um yeah yeah you know unfortunately it didn't give us some of the memories that we've had with uh with other kits but um I guess the only other weird thing I looked at with regards to that Sparta Prague game was um, who our centre backs were that game. Did you have a look at that? No, I didn't, but hit me with it. I'm intrigued. A centre back pairing of Lushni and Vivas. Holy mother of God. That was never going to go well, was it? What was Arsene Wenger thinking? Well, I think there was issues with Adams and Keown at the time, so I don't think he had much choice, but. Um, yeah, I don't think that will go down as one of the more famous pairings in uh, Arsenal history. No. There you go. There's, that's a name set you wouldn't see very often. Nelson Vivas. So actually, speaking of name sets, I do remember, um, just before we start to wrap this up, we were in, obviously, the pub there before the Leicester game. And you, you turned around to me, you know, all excited. Uh, and I remember we were talking to you and Mr. After, but I can't point this out to anybody. This is what I love about coming to the football. Uh, but you tapped me on and said, like, look at that guy's name set over there. You had it on the back of that season's Funnily Enough Awake, it wanted the, the yellow Sega. Uh, yeah. if, what was that name set? I can't remember who it was now. Stuff like oh, you've, you've, you've told me. Oh, who was it? Um, oh, it was was it not Paolo oh, Vanazza? Paolo Vanazza. Paolo Vanazza. I, I don't Paolo, think I've ever seen another one. No, a Paolo Vanazza name set on the back of a shirt at a match. I mean, love to see it. Love these unique ones that you get from time to time. Big, big fan. Um, so yeah, wear it with pride, my friend. Um, but it was a, a truly unique shirt to see. But I guess, look, James, on on that point, I guess we could probably wrap it up here. Um, I think, look. As always, uh, you know, I really would like to thank you, James, for for taking the time out of your evening to join us and fill in for Steve. And obviously, listeners, you, you have to get used to James's beautiful notes that flow out of his mouth. Uh, he will be joining us on the regular for the pre-match pint moving forward. Steve is, as I said earlier, he's going to be a busy boy. Uh, he's got a lot on his plate in, in relation to getting married, uh, which we'll all look forward to at the time. But look, as always, if We'd just like to thank you for taking the time to listen to podcasts. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you do enjoy the show, please do leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. We greatly appreciate it. But look, please keep an eye on our social feeds for the next podcast. But until then, look after yourselves, look after each other. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye.